0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Marriage Foundation show. I'm Paul Friedman. I founded the Marriage Foundation. Our show today is how to stop arguing with your spouse. My co-host, David Cruz. David, say hi. Hi, Paul. (laughs) Hi, David, is going to be posing yours and his questions and challenging in a positive way, to get to the deeper understanding of marriage. Because understanding marriage usually means you'll know what to do. If you know what to do, you will have a happy marriage because a happy marriage is what you should expect.
1: What would you say to that, David? I agree with you. I think happy marriage is absolutely what you should expect, but it's certainly what you should want, and it's what you should Get um, I think if you get married, why would you get married for any other reason? So I agree with you, Paul.
0: You know it's it's a funny thing because in my earlier days, of course, as you know, I was a divorce mediator, and all of my clients came from marriage counselors, and nobody had that expectation. Nobody thought I get married to be happier. Obviously. It was in the background of their mind. But if you have that expectation, then you're going to do what's needed to achieve it. And we're going to share those things in this show. So, David, do you have any questions?
1: I, you know, I do. I think, you know, in our last podcast, Paul, we touched on, you know, should you, you know, is it good to argue? Um, is it good to get your feelings out? Is it good to express um, emotion in your relationship? And I thought, I thought that was really a fascinating place to go. So I I kind of like to continue on that vein a little bit in that, you know, I think, you know, you, you look at marriages um, and I see that a lot of people get angry with their spouses. Some of them take it and you can see it in the supermarket. You can see it when they're together, that there's kind of a tension between them. But I just think you have to be so very careful in how you express when you get frustrated or when you get angry or just how those feelings come up inside you, because they're so, as you said, they're so destructive to a relationship. So I kind of want to go a little bit more into that.
0: Well, that that's a good observation where you see, you know, unfortunately, most people don't see it in themselves. When they become angry, they're just there. They're in their angry space. But we see it, like if we're at the supermarket, we see, really, it's... It's almost embarrassing when you watch couples, or, arguing. or just
1: being—you know—they're they're just short with each other, or they're bickering, um, and it's just—I I look and I go, you know, it's just so destructive how they relate to each other that if they're doing that in public, what are they doing at home when no one's watching them? Exactly. So let's talk about,
0: let's talk about one of the key components in understanding how to get rid of it. And the key component here is being watchful, not of your spouse. And and this is important both for men and women. You should be literally paying attention to your thoughts and notice when they become angry. And rather than just going along with this anger and following the path that anger is dictating, that an emotion, and it is more than an emotion, but rather than going along with this ridiculous, nasty thing that you know is going to create a chain of events that makes both of you less and less happy, more and more unhappy, more and more frustrated, more and more teed off. It'll usually turn into an argument. Then you'll be thinking about it sometimes for hours. But it changes your mood. And it is so simple, a thing to do. You need to understand this, folks. This is on you. Don't notice your spouse's anger. Notice your own. Don't notice it Once it's already past your lips, but that's okay if it has, go back and challenge yourself. And when I say challenge yourself, at the Marriage Foundation, we have a whole different approach to this. Challenge your mind. It's your mind, which is a possession. It's yours. You are not your mind. So challenge your mind and begin by going, stop, stop let's not do anger this time and back away give yourself a respite give yourself a couple of minutes to think about do i really want to express what's going on in my mind right now now there is a school of thought and it's a school of thought among western psychologists i do not share it spiritual people by and large, don't share this, school of thought, and more advanced psychotherapists don't share this, that you should release your anger, that you should not keep it bottled up. And they talk about positive ways to do that. Folks, I'm telling you, there are no positive ways to do that. That's like saying, where do I dump my toxic waste (laughs) where it's not going to have a big impact? So first step, stop the thought. You know, David, most people do not know this, but you can control your thoughts, literally. You can take that thought that is filled with anger, and you could just stop it. And then the right next step, and when I say the right next step, I mean the one that's going to bring you that happiness that you get married for is to invoke a positive thought, and then another one, and then another one, until that anger thought or thoughts are crowded out. And that's a technique. That's a technique. Now, speaking of techniques, I'm going to have to pitch the Marriage Foundation because they're the ones pitching us. And the Marriage Foundation is an organization that I founded. Oh, long time ago i can't even remember when we've had <laughs> thousands of clients it's a non-profit and its whole purpose is to show people how to be married and most of the people who come to us frankly are people who are having marital problems and we have plenty of articles lots of youtubes and we also have a couple of books but the biggest thing that we have is we have courses a course for men and a course for women, we've had thousands and thousands of people take this course. It's very effective. And again, its purpose is not just to fix the problems in your marriage. It's to completely turn your marriage around.
1: All right, back to well, you, you know, David. I, I, think, um, I think, I think, I know you're right, Paul. I, I, what I really like about the Marriage Foundation, one of the things that I got from I, I can't remember. I think it was the first book that you wrote was focus on what to do to prevent the issues from getting much bigger in your relationship. I mean, the reality is that, you know, you, you a lot of us fall back on what our parents, what we saw our parents do in a marriage or what we think is right to do in a marriage. And we do fall prey to the things that go on in our heads. And one of the things I really did like about your program was it gave some, I gave some really good ways of just mentally looking at what was going to, what was happening that you were doing and how to prevent that from c- continuing. I, I, maybe I didn't say that right, but... Yeah. I think
0: you said it really well. You know, one of the sad realities is that there is not much good education for people who are about to get married. I was seeing a doctor who had just got married, and uh, he was so excited, nice guy, and his wife was a doctor too. And within less than two years, his marriage was already heading downhill because of a lack of education. People get so excited about being married that they forget that it is a thing, and all things kind of need a plan and then at the marriage foundation by the way you could write in a question to our counselors you just go to the marriagefoundation.org and you'll see a ask a counselor tab it's a free service and we may even use your question on the show and you know one question i think that we got that really speaks to what you and i have just been talking about is one question was what do you do when your husband doesn't love you anymore? Now, our counselors, when they get these questions, they, it's sad. It's sad. We're affected by this because we know what it feels like. We're people too. So, But we don't want to pander to your emotions. We don't want to blow smoke. We want to give you good information about when your husband doesn't love you anymore. And the first thing to recognize is that that is a perception that you have that is based on the mind's self-preservation. It's telling you that your husband doesn't love you anymore, but what it really should be telling you is that the things that you're doing are impacting your husband in a way that's making him unhappy. Remember, he got married to be happier, just like you. And he also got married to gain something from you as a woman that he doesn't have as much contact with within himself, his heart. So when a woman expresses love, And I'm going to say something that I know we're going to get a lot of arguments about. But a woman should only express love. A man should only express love in his own way, because men and women are different. But if you're expressing only love to your husband, if you're not putting out anger, criticism, analysis, you're not rolling your eyes, you still smile at him you're still giving him that juice that he was so attracted to when you were dating, then you will see that your husband probably does still love you. Love doesn't go away. But we build up a thick skin to protect ourselves from these adverse conditions of criticism and nagging and I'm not supposed to use nagging, I guess, because it's politically incorrect to suggest that women nag. But I'll tell you,
1: men nag too.
0: It isn't. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Paul. Not just women.
1: What if you What if you're sitting there thinking, you know, I'm trying to do everything I can to make this person happy, and yet I I think they're just they're getting just tired of me at this point. They're. Um, they think they're someone better, someone younger, someone prettier, someone who I don't know. If it's maybe the guy thinks she wants somebody who, you know, gives her, can give her something that you can't. What if you start getting those thoughts into your head? You know, the negative stuff that hits you. Well,
0: that's that's got to be the best question ever, ever put to me. Because it needs to be addressed, and I'm going to repeat that question, David. And that question is: What if I'm already doing everything to make my husband happy, but he is he's starting to look around,
1: or vice or vice versa? It could be the same thing the other way. My 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 husband's looking around, and my wife's looking around. But you just feel like. You know, there's some things out of my control.
0: Yes. So here's the thing. Let's talk about. First, I'm going to suggest that, and don't don't get defensive when I say this, folks. Uh, okay. Yeah,
1: too, I'm all there, Paul. I will. I'll be as defensive okay. as I can be. But go ahead.
0: All right. I have met with more than one, more than ten people, both men and women, who have made that statement. But then when I start asking them questions, they're going, um, um, meaning they're not really doing all that they can to make their spouse feel better, to make their spouse feel that love. They're not. They think they are because they're Experience of marriage is limited to what they've seen on television, what they've seen with their parents, but most kids don't really observe their parents. Believe it or not, most of the information we get about marriage, we get from sitcoms. And my wife and I enjoy sitcoms, but we roll our eyes at the sarcasm. People goofing on their spouse, making fun of them. Treating them like children, they're not really treating them like the most important person in their life. And so we watch these things on TV, and then we see them reenacted in the in the family, in the marriage. It doesn't work. So I'll ask a question. Do you ever yell at your spouse? Do you ever turn away in disgust or anger? Do you ever argue with your spouse?
1: silent treatment.
0: Do you ever give them the silent treatment?
1: Right. No, that's used a lot. I've seen that used, well, I've definitely seen that used previously. Not in the marriage I'm in today, but I've definitely seen that used against me. That silent treatment. That oh, you said something wrong, and and they're upset, and I just get the silent treatment, and you just go. How long is that going to last? Right. right,
0: and so it's it's exactly right, it, and I see these as weapons, and so does the person executing the silent treatment. It is a weapon. It's a weapon. Well, how can that possibly be suggesting that you're. Loving your spouse with all you
1: have. So, Paul, if if you feel things are going wrong, who should you focus on? Should you focus on yourself or should you focus on your partner and what they're doing?
0: Okay. Before I answer that, I want to put out a disclaimer. I did not give David these questions.
1: Not at all. (laughs)
0: These are... These are yeah, his no questions. Question.
1: No, n- n- absolutely. You did not give me the questions at all. Yeah. Yes.
0: And now this is an important question because, you know, common quote-unquote knowledge, which is out there, is for the most part dangerous and wrong. Where they start describing these psychologists. I cannot tell you how many, how many emails we get from people who go, my husband is a narcissist. My wife is depressed. They put these labels on them, and I'll tell you what that is doing. It's excusing yourself when you do
1: that from how you are behaving. Well, Paul, I, I am saying that because, and I, it's, you are, it's no secret to you, but and I really don't have secrets here either. But I was, I was married in my late 20s and was married for 13 years um, until my Early forties, and and you know we went to see some marriage psychologists, therapists to try to fix things. And I found that you know I'm I'm in that room, and they're asking her to describe the things that she didn't like about me. So, and then same thing with me. Well, tell me things you don't like about her. And this became it was like we're going to have a bigger argument. We just we and. I, I just yep. wonder yep. the effect, exactly you know, the effectiveness of that. In um, any so yeah, end, they ended up giving me the idea to, well, focus on what they're doing and see if you can live with what they're doing. So you know what you know, you know what they're doing. See if you can live with it, or let's try to change what they, uh, or maybe you should try to change what she doesn't like about you. But it was really more of a focus of what do you think the other person should change, as opposed to what you should do. So where do you see That's it? Right. Do you see it as a combination of that, that you should try to get the other person to change a little bit and you meet somewhere in the middle? Yeah. Um, nope. Okay. Nope. no. Nope. You know, there there
0: is a rule of thumb. I'll pose it as a question. How do you change another person? Let's broaden it out. How do you change another person? And the answer is you Cannot.
1: Period. No, you know, I think cannot. that's a big one, Paul. You have to stop there. You know, I think every. I, I can't tell you. I think I. I know when I first got married, and I didn't like some of the things about my wife. That I thought, well, I could, you know, I could have an effect on changing that. I did. I, I really did. Right. I
0: yeah. understand.
1: And, and, yeah,
0: I wasn't born knowing these things. By the way, I learned them. So when I laughed, it's not at you. It's because I I was the same way. I thought I could I could yeah, change it. the her. other
1: thing is that you know, you, and, and then somebody would say to me, "Well, you knew what you were getting." You know, you knew what you were getting when you got married. And I'd say, "Yes." Well, I knew a lot of it, but I didn't know this, and I didn't know that. And this didn't show. This didn't yes. show up for six months didn't show up for a year. Or yes. Two.
0: Well, remember that magic phrase in the vows for better or for worse, right? <laughs> Whoever wrote those vows knew what they were talking about because they realized and we should realize too that before we get married, we kind of sort of vet the person we're going to m- marry, but God knows how much they're intentionally hiding from us. Intentionally, I'm going to say, you know,
1: even in the best marriages, there are things that will come out after you get married that you go, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know that that was going to (laughs) be dealing with, and you kind of it. So, how do you, how do you adapt to that? Because I think that's probably an area that a lot of people get pretty frustrated. That they go, I didn't, you know, I never saw that coming. That that
0: okay. And 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 clearly, remember you got married to be. I mean, I'm gonna go back to this. You got married to be happy. You didn't get married. Keep this in mind, because you remember we started this little part of the conversation with, you know, do we change the other person? Right. Do we notice right. the other person? Who do or do we meet in the middle? No, where we meet. And this is going to sound awful corny, but it's the truth. Where we meet is on the plane of the soul. Ever hear the term soulmate? That's where we meet. We recognize that as human beings, all of us are flawed as can be. We have all of our flaws. But the place where we meet is love. Love is flawless. It is the perfection that all of us seek, knowingly or not. We seek to be loved. We seek to feel love. And in our marriage, it is the only place in the world. Think about it. It's the only venue in the world where you can safely express your love without looking like an idiot or being thought of, hey, what do they want from me? Your marriage is a setup to let your love flow. Not your negativity, though. If you allow your negativity, which includes being critical of your spouse's attributes, whatever even they may be. something new
1: that came up.
0: Yes, even something new that came up. Now, you don't be stupid. You recognize what they have. I mean, if you married someone and you find out that they are a gambler. You can't be stupid. You have to take practical steps and protect your wealth or whatever money you have so that they don't blow it all. But that's not where you connect. You connect in the place of love. And you use your communication, verbal and otherwise, verbal, sexual communication, emotional communication, everything to connect with love. And you don't disrupt it. You don't control them. So you can't tell them, now don't disrupt this communication I'm giving you that's all love. Because one day you may say, honey, I love you. My God, you're looking good. And they will say, what a jerk you are. Don't you know what I've been going through all day? (laughs) Right? You can imagine that happening and it's not your job
1: to criticize them for that it's your job to keep love okay so that. let's I, i'm going to i'm going to put you on the spot here paul with the gambling example you know you have um, you have a spouse it could be either one that has decided that they're going to go to casinos or wherever to to gamble and the gambling is putting the family in financial trouble I mean, it, okay. So you, it's a, one of, one of them is doing something like that that is putting everybody in a position where it's, it's going to be harmful to the family, to the situation, to paying their bills. Um, It's going to add a lot of stress to everyone. You have to stop them for the good of the family, but how do you communicate that without it, you know, affecting your relationship? How do you keep, your, how do you well, keep your, I, your relationship on track, if you will, and still communicate? What, what do you do?
0: Okay. Ironically, I know about this from my divorce mediation days. So the couple is in love. They want to keep their family together. But one of them, because sometimes it's the wife and sometimes it's the husband, has a terrible gambling problem. And what we do, those of us who (laughs) commiserate as divorce mediators, we tell the couple, look, we're going to get you a divorce, but you're going to stay together. But we have to get you a divorce because you have to be real about this. And as long as this disease can wipe out the whole family, we have to contain it. So, in those cases, you go to a professional divorce mediator, one who is uh, educated in all of the laws of divorce in your state, and you take care of that. Now, the reason I bring this up and talk about it like it's a no-brainer is because there's other things like that where the solution has to be taken care of in a practical way. And it has to be handled very delicately, of course. Now, there are cases where a couple cannot transcend an issue, and they need to get away from the, I'll call it the tainted one. So if you somehow married a pedophile, there is no cure. There is no solution for that. And if you have children, it's dangerous for your children, And it's dangerous for other children. You don't want to be a part of that. And then I like to use the phrase, because I've met with people who say, in this case, I love him, and I don't want to leave him. I recognize it's a disease, and they make all kinds of excuses. And I say, quite ineffectively at that, love him from a distance. Unfortunately, people don't heed that advice. And... It's kind of disastrous. There are some diseases that are just disasters. You can't, you you can't pretend they're not. Pedophilia is one of those things.
1: Okay, Paul. Yeah. Well, so you have to let, be practical. Okay, so let's say it's not gambling. It's not that destructive. Let's say it's something like they're just they want everything in their in its place. They want you know they they want everything. We didn't realize that they were so obsessive. It, let, let they, you, know, but not, you know, not to the extent, but, you know, you, you didn't realize that they wanted, you know, all the um, all the all the glasses lined up in the cabinet and all the silverware lined up and they wanted things to be so much in their place. And you didn't realize they were that. It's one of those little things that's different about them that there's really no harm to it. But because you're not. um it bothers it, you. Know, you. It might, it, you know, so what do you do with that? Um that is that, that starts okay. bothering you because they want you to be so um a, a lot more like them.
0: Yeah. I get it. And we see that actually much more often than you would imagine. And you asked before, do we meet in the middle? And something like that, you don't meet in the middle, you just suck it up. You just suck it up and you go, okay, they're like that. I love that person with all my heart, mind, and soul. I love that person so much, blah, 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 blah. But I can't line up the glasses for them? You see, it always comes back to who are you able to change? You can change yourself. You cannot change your spouse. You have no right to change. Let's get into this a little bit, David, because this is a big topic. The Marriage Foundation, and, and let's throw in a pitch again for the Marriage Foundation, is a very important organization because we do not rely on the ever-changing Western psychological non-model models. You know, it's fascinating, but if you go to a uh, marriage counselor and then you go to another and then another and another, their protocols are all different. I don't care how many you go to. They are not taught a specific protocol. Well, at the Marriage Foundation we have specific protocol because we base our understanding of marriage on certain principles. I call them universal principles. They're often referred to as universal principles and you will see those principles also in scriptural principles because they're universal. One of the big ones that we rely upon is free will. Every individual has free will. So it means a number of things. In this particular case, it means, one, you can only change yourself, therefore do so. Take responsibility for your thoughts, your speech, and your behavior. You have free will, right? So comes with that is the responsibility to maintain your behaviors, including your thoughts, in a manner that is loving and pro spouse and pro marriage. The other, another, I should say, very important outgrowth of this principle is that your spouse has free will. How unloving is it to try to impose upon their free will? And people become very creative when I tell them that. They learn how to be manipulative. No, you don't get to be manipulative either. They use men in particular, use their power as a man, to impose their will on their wife. We see it all the time. They'll turn to him with a scowl, a a mean look, which is saying, get in line, bitch. Well, you don't get to do that, dude. That's not why you have that power. That power is so you protect her. And you're breaking a fundamental agreement that goes all the way back to our primal days, a biological agreement that as the man, you're there to protect her, never to use your strength on her, ever, in any way, shape, or form. Most men in our society don't get that. And it is, in my humble opinion, a leading cause For breakdown in marriage. Now, wives bolt when a man uses his power. They do it subtly because there are, there's no like black and white. Oh, you were mean to me. I'm out of here. It's not like that. But they slowly pull away. Now, what happens when they slowly pull away? What is the man's biggest desire when he gets married subconsciously in the second level of the subconscious mind is he wants his wife's connection to the soul to the heart because she's got it and he doesn't and he by tuning into her gets a connection that sh- that she's walking around with all day he wants that love but now he Acted like an ass towards her and she pulls away, his reaction to her pulling away is to get mad at her. And bam, we have a negative cycle that builds and builds until there's no more marriage.
1: Yeah, it starts going away. You're right. It would it starts deteriorating the marriage. You're right, Paul. No question.
0: Yeah. So there is no middle ground. I mean, you could pretend there's a middle ground with something, but you got to do it playfully. And if you do it playfully, you better be in charge of your mind to make sure that when you're doing it playfully, you're not doing it manipulatively, that you're not doing it playfully in order to gain their trust and their alignment with your idea of what is the middle ground. So it's better to protect yourself from that possibility. By just allowing them to be who they are. I say that allowing. What an absurd way to put it. To respect who they are without any kind of judgment whatsoever. What right do we have to judge another human being? How insane it is to judge our spouse from whom we want the gift of love.
1: You know, Paul, it is insane but it's easy to fall prey to it um, when you're in the moment. It really sure. is, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you for a second because I want to. Um, i I've, you know I've known you for a long time, and no, I, though I haven't been through your entire program, we've talked so many times throughout the years that I've certainly gained some insight on relationships and that from you so i'm going to share a story with my wife but it's a good story but it's, it's not so great about me but i, but I, <laughs> I still it, it illustrates your point point. and you know we had um my wife pam and and i um we're we're a little different um she is um and she's much more analytical about things than i am so she and and i've known that about her and i'm fine with it i like that aspect of her i'm totally I'm almost totally good with it but every once in a while something will happen and, and this 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 story is a good illustration of it. We decided to paint our home and and Pam has never had um to paint a home before. So it, we've been in the home now for about 10 years and and we've never we we moved into the house with these with this paint, and and uh, I thought it'd be a good idea to do that. And I said, "What you know, what color would you like to do it?" And sh- we kind of decided on um, one color. And and I thought that that meant going to, in this case, Home Depot, going to the paint department, picking out some paint colors. And okay, we narrow it down from five to three, and you pick out the one you want, and we go. But that's not what happened. She, um, when we picked out that one that I thought was picked out, she. Um, she went to, i thought okay we 're ready to go we, i had I got the living room and everything ready with the with taping and everything ready to go to paint and she went to the store thinking well i 'm going to pick out more options, so she went and put four or five she came, instead of coming home with the paint, she came home with four or five more options, which she painted on the wall. She ended up going back to the store like three times because she couldn't decide on what color was right with the with which wall. We had walls with um, one foot by one foot colors all over the house. And this went on for a week or two. And I'm ready to paint the house. And and the more she, we kept going, the more she wanted to keep on looking at options. And I felt I, I started to get pretty frustrated with this. I just felt myself, like... Pick out the paint. Can we pick out the paint? And I just felt myself feeling, okay, this is, if she goes back to the paint store one more time and doesn't pick out the paint, (laughs) I'm going to go, I'm going to go crazy here. And I, and I, and I said something to her like, Pam, can you just pick out the paint? It doesn't matter. I don't care. I'm going to love it. No matter what, you just pick out the paint. And she couldn't. And, and at that point, um, I did remember the things you said because it, it's, a, it's a mindset. It's a mindset and you can't change the other person. And at that point, we got to that point where I was just about to explode from her. You know, we had, we had tried out 15 different colors on the walls. We even bought a color that didn't work, five gallons of that paint, um, which is now going to humanity, uh, Habitats for Humanity. I said I started saying, "Okay, Lucy, you gotta go. <laughs> 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 we're we're going to try more paint colors today. I can't wait to see what you come back with." And the nice. Lucy, and nice, and she she's a big Lucy ball fan. She loves watching the old I Love Lucy shows. And once we started with the Lucy thing, it became funny. It really became a funny thing. And the more she came back with different colors, the more I started hugging her. And it was, and it really was because I remembered what you talked to me about. I'm obviously giving you credit here, but it was amazing the transformation of how their project went. Once, once I flipped, once I remembered where my role should be and not try to change her to pick out the paint, just completely. it it, it made
0: it made you so much happier oh my it, god
1: yeah and the, the and frustration so, of the project and the uh, and the yes. and stuff that had gone on before it just became funny and but it all came but you, it, all all of that frustration literally left my body it, it
0: evaporates. evaporates because what happened was you did what we talked about earlier you filled the room with loving behavior So the room had no place for the nonsense that most people cling to. And they cling to, and this is a very interesting thing, because, and that's a great story, David, I love that story. You've told it to me before, and I think it's great. And not only is it instructive, but it's so normal. And the wives are cracking up, and the husbands are cracking up, But before they were cracking up, I guarantee what they were doing was picking sides. And this is where the problem comes in. The mind, we have to remember, the the mind is a possession. But we have to understand what its role is in our lives. We have to understand how it fits within us so that we know conclusively that it is not ours to be controlled by, but it is ours to control. So if if you give me a minute, I want to talk about what the mind is. And this is not a religious discussion. You know me. I love every religion, and I, I don't care. To me, God is God is. In, in fact, the expression I like to use is God is All in all in the universe. God is all in all in the universe. I go back to my Jewish roots where there's only one God, and that's it. And I don't see God as outside. God is. And so we are part of God. And we are a special creation. We're souls. We are souls, which means we're a chip off the old block. But we have come into human form. And to enjoy this creation of God's, we have five senses, and we have a mind. But he also created a bunch of animals and insects and all living things. And the number one thing that you could say about every single living thing, every single cell, is that it has a drive to survive. biologically. Physiologically, the drive to survive dominates, dominates. And here we are, souls, total loosey-goosey, all-love souls, in this drive-to-survive body. And the mind is caught in the middle. The mind is receiving the message from the body, Hey, watch out, be careful, or hey, There's some food over there. Hey, you can make some money off of this. Hey, opportunity and fear. That's what the drive to survive turns into as a practical thing. And the mind is a calculator. It's a receiver of information from the external world. I hope I'm not getting too deep. It's analyzing stuff. And it's being compelled by the body to be fearful, to be fearful, to be cautious. But you're a soul, and you get to tell this mind, hold off. It's okay. And that's what you did with Pam. You said to your mind, you didn't say to Pam first. You said to your mind, hey, it's okay. It's okay. The world's not going to change because of it takes six months to get but to the nor, right but color nor, paint.
1: Nor should I try to change her.
0: Never should you try to change her. So what you did was David changed David's mind, not David, but your mind. You controlled it because it was going nuts. That's what you were telling That's us true. before. You said, "My, my." You said, "I was about to explode." You weren't about to explode. Your mind. See how it works? These things are so important to learn. And this is the whole reason for the Marriage Foundation. And you learn these things. You learn them in the books. But if if your marriage is even in a little bit of trouble or if you really want to have a fantastic marriage, then get the course for men if you're a man. Get the course for women if you're a woman. Get both of them if you're a couple. I think there's a huge discount for that. And turn your marriage into magic. Magic. I know you, David. You are on cloud nine in your marriage. Just from talking to me throughout these years, you've learned enough. I'm not like the guru of marriage, but I've studied it. I get it, and I pass it on.
1: I I just want to make one last comment about that, Paul, which I think is an important thing to say. That uh, Over the years in our friendship, you've talked to me. multiple times about one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing to do is to control your own mind. And, and, you know, it it was, it was a foreign thought to me when you first said it. um, But I learned throughout the years, one, how difficult it is to do that. And, and how things like, you know, the training that you give through the Marriage Foundation helps you with that. And then once you can, once you start learning those things and implementing them, how much it really does help, you know, it helps yourself, it helps your relationship with your spouse, but it also helps you with everybody else that you deal with. So, um, but it's not an easy thing to do. And, you know, I do want to say how your program does address that in an incredible way.
0: Well, David, thank you. That was uh, really profound and really beautiful. I think we should wrap up this podcast. It was uh, a great great show, I think. And uh, don't forget, folks, if you have a question you'd like us to address, you could go to our website, themarriagefoundation.org, and click on where it says Ask a Counselor, and we'd appreciate your questions. The alternative is you could call in, and maybe we'll even put you on the show. That would be one- 855 527 5863. I'm going to repeat that. 1 855 527. So there's three fives. 5863. One more time. 1 And we appreciate your spending your time with us. We love spending our time with you. God bless
1: and take take care. care. Thanks, Paul.